Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're in for a delightful episode tonight. Tonight the topic is the untold story of Siddha, and our guest tonight is Dina Miriam. We're going to bring her on in just a minute, but I want to just touch on the notion of divine masculine and divine feminine. And um, the the spiritual um, awakening, if you will, of humanity, of human consciousness, um, has a lot of... Uh, nuances to it there's frequency and energy and cleansing your chakras and and uh kind of the 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 new age language of this uh, uh spiritual awakening if you will on the planet but i think that um the sto- uh, the the language that we use the stories that we tell are stepping stones to a a deeper and deeper understanding of not only who we are, but uh, perhaps the the history of the masculine and the feminine. And I like that sentence, the history of the masculine and the feminine. Um, Certainly, certainly many, many people have prophesied the awakening of the feminine will be what restores balance, what pulls humanity out of its conundrum, if you will. But uh, what I like about the the topic we're going to touch on tonight, there's there's these two personas, Ram and Siddha, who uh, embodied um, many moons ago, and they personified through their physical form, they personified such a, a, a deep and eloquent love. And what I like about uh, the notion of that is that here we are really centuries, you know, thousands of years later, and we're talking about them. Um, Jesus is another example of that. Buddha is another example of that. Krishna is another example of that. But those, those three are single personifications. The, the thing that I like about Ram and, and Siddha is it's the masculine and the feminine incarnate and um, personifying, if you will, the notion of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Um, I, I think there are those on the planet at the time, at this time, at this time, and, and perhaps... Um, um, by by intent from from um, many moons ago, in other words, during this awakening of our human consciousness, there are those that that bring the the the, the longest story, the oldest story, perhaps, if you will, of of the eloquence, the grace, the harmony of masculine and feminine. 
And uh, that, that's why I think tonight's story is so powerful. And I think it's uh, I think it's time to delve into this because I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Again, the topic tonight is the untold story of Siddha, and our guest tonight is Dina Miriam. She is the author of the book, The Untold Story of Siddha, an empowering tale for our time. And this book takes a look at the classic Ramanyana by tearing away the patriarchal lens through which the story is traditionally viewed. In the traditional account, Siddha is a secondary figure, and her true nature is hard to access. So the, the I'm elaborating here, the, the feminine side of the story is kind of discounted and, and portrayed as a secondary figure. In this reading of the story told by the people of Siddha's household, the role of the sacred feminine is predominant. So Dina has written a book to bring um, the power the, of, of that, the feminine side of that um, back to front and center. Dina is the founder and convener of the Global Peace Initiative of Women, bringing spiritual resources to address critical global challenges such as conflict, social justice, and ecological scarring of the earth. Over the years, she has worked with critical global challenges uh, she has worked to bring greater gender balance, there's that balance again, and balance between the Abrahamic and Dharma-based religions, traditions for more inclusive interfaith movement. Uh, she has served as vice chair of the Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders. Held at the United Nations in New York, she subsequently convened a meeting of women religious and spiritual leaders at the Palace Nations in Geneva, and from that gathering founded the Global Peace Initiative of Women in 2002. She's been busy. <laughs> I'm glad she has time for us. In 2008, Dina was one of the founding members of the Contemplative Alliance, which became a program of GPIW. To explore how meditation and contemplative practices are reshaping the spiritual landscape of our society. And without further ado, I think it's time to get on with the show. Dina, welcome back to our show. I'm so glad you could join us. Well, it's nice to be here with you again. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you you have such a a rapport of of really love. I mean, the compassion for humanity is palatable as I read everything you've done, and and you've created such a a global effort with the Global Peace Initiative of Women and and uh, working with the world. Millennium World Peace Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders. I mean, you're you're entrenched, if you will, in in this on such a global scale. I think it's very important that our audience knows exactly who we're talking to. So, 
um, it's my pleasure to share that history, that background on you, because it, it just helps bring clarity to who you are. Well, you know, I've been doing this um, interfaith work for 20 years, and um, it was I, I never had an intention to do it. I, I sort of kind of, as I say, kind of, it, 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 it I backed into it. <laughs> it kind of fell in, in, in front of me, and I, I, I couldn't say no to it. But, you know, over the years, as I've had many um, memories of previous births return to me, and often it would be through my work, going to a certain place or meeting certain, a certain person or sitting in a certain uh, uh, dialogue, I would be flooded with these memories. It all began to make sense, and I began to see patterns. And that's really what interested me. It wasn't so much a curiosity of who was I in the past. It was the patterns of life. And, um, and, and, and it, I, I mean, it just was, I was overwhelmed by the beauty of how, how we ourselves create the situations that we need in order to grow and to learn and how it's really much our own design. And so my first book, Journey Through Life, which I talked about on your show, was very much about exploring that. And I really didn't think that I would write anymore. And then I, I was in India for um, a, a, a conference that I had organized, and I took a trip to this small place called Ayodhya. It was a temple town. I had read, you referenced this, the Ramayana, which is really the foundational story of India. Uh, everybody in India knows that story. They learn it from childhood. It's done in theater and music. Um, it's just the foundational story about this uh, ancient king, their historical figures, Ram, and his wife, Sita. And it's almost like the parables of Jesus. I mean, there's so much in the culture uh, because he was all about about establishing a civilization based on principles of righteousness, of integrity, of truth, of of justice, of balance. And so, um, I had read the I had read the uh, na- the narrative many many years ago, and was very attracted to it. But that was the end of it. I didn't think much that I had much personal. Uh, experience <laughs> or interaction with Ram and Sita. And then when I went to this temple town where I lived, I began in my meditation seeing scenes again and again. That's what led me to write the book. And it was all from Sita's point of view, where the story is told from Ram's point of view. He is the central character. And I saw that this this uh, narrative that took place, but their lives, which was it's hard to date it exactly. I mean, there's archaeological evidence that 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 um, they they were historical figures, but the dating is hard. Maybe about 5,000 BC. I saw that it took place in a pre-patriarchal time. So, what does that mean? It means that women were educated. There were women teachers, women spiritual teachers, women sages. Um, uh, women had had power. Uh, there was um, there was this natural balance and flow between the masculine and the feminine, and their roles were very different. I mean, Sita is is as you said, the love just flows through her love for all of creation, for the forest, for the plants, for the animals, for the humans, and with Ram, his his role was really in setting up of 
setting up the foundation for a new civilization because it was a time when humanity was was uh, transitioning from forest uh, communities to cities and to agricultural communities. So it was a time of, of transition. And so all the institutions of civilization had to be set up. And so I thought, well, what relevance does this have to our time? And that's there's a lot to say about that because we also are in a time of transition, moving from a, 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 an industrial age into a post-industrial age, and, and we don't really know what's coming next, but we know we're transitioning into something different. Um, and so um, during times of transition, it's really important. I think a lot can be learned from looking back to the past uh, and to see how those transitions were handled. Well, I, I like that. And, um, you know, as as I've noodled uh, our, our human story and, and this um, um, the nature of nature, if you will, I find it very curious that, um, like, uh, the the story of the slaves in Egypt and the slaves in Egypt are tired of being slaves and they prayed to God and they say, you know, boy, howdy, this really sucks. It'd be great if you could get us out of this paradigm. Or, I mean, you could pick any any story of struggle, um, world wars, famines, you know, and uh, um, people pray for the end of suffering, if you will, in a general sense. And going back to the story of the Pharaoh and the slaves, God divine, God with a big G, doesn't reach in the Pharaoh's head and flip a, you know, um, butthead nice guy switch. He he leaves them alone, <laughs> and he, he brings Moses into the scene. And, and yeah. the point I'm getting at here is, I think in our story, in in this paradigm that we're living in now, many, many people are very frustrated with uh, the narrative that's being played out, especially the narrative that's being shown to them by the media, and we're hungry yeah. for a more authentic story. And then here come, here here you come, and many like you, who who go and reconnect to a deeper truth, who go and connect to a more authentic uh, narrative, and you bring it into physical form, and and I'm sitting here holding your book in my hand, and it's the, it's the language of the return to balance, of the reawakening of the feminine. Yeah. And so it, it, it's a, there's a beautiful eloquence to... How humanity has answers to, for itself, if you will, through the desire, the intention of wanting something better. I think that the this, this, the key word here is balance, and it's they're also connected. Whether you talk about the balance between the masculine and the feminine, and ecological balance, restoring balance. Um, I mean, we've we've gone in, in set, we've gone so rapidly. Into a, in one direction without seeing the outcome, without taking stock of where this is going to take us, um, and without understanding how everything is interconnected, which there was this understanding in the past that, you know, you had to protect the forest because the forests give you, give, you know, give you oxygen, they give you food, 
a lot of things. They provide the habitat for animals. You, you, can't, you can't destroy the rivers because the rivers are the source of, of life, of water. You know, you can't live without water. So there was this understanding of the interconnection, and therefore all the, these uh, natural forces were honored, uh, you know, honored and uh, uh, respected, and there was a, a deep gratitude for that. And then you look how we've come to this point where, you know, our rivers are like sewers, you know, filled with chemical toxins. There's, there's probably not a river in this country that doesn't have toxins in it. And the oceans and, I mean, the state of the whole planet, really. Um, and you say, oh, my God, you know, how do you turn this ship around? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. How do we come back into into a world of balance? That's the question. <laughs> well, I mean, when um, in your book, um, you you share this story of Sita, and and she represents the 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 feminine um, of the Ram and Sita pair, the masculine, the feminine yeah. side yeah. of it. And for you to 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 bring uh, a new light on the story. To show the um, the prominence or of of the feminine, I mean, because it, it, it's almost like our past. It, it's like testosterone poisoning. It's like it's like masculine overdose. Um, the the patriarchal yeah. uh, systemic um, um, dogma in our education, in our religions, in our whatever. Clearly, humanity's out of balance, and and so when you think of the 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 return of the feminine, if you will, um, what attributes do you see are prominent attributes that the feminine will bring, and um, to to restore that balance? Well, I think I think I think there are several um, there's several things that that jump out at me. One is um, the, the understanding of the interconnectedness with the natural world and the need to care for and, and cherish the natural world. Um, uh, I think women are more um, connected to the earth uh, and more in the rhythm. Our rhythm is more in the rhythm of the earth. So we, we are, you know, we connected to the natural forces. We're connected to the moon controls our monthly cycles. You know, we, we, we are integrated more into that. And I think so that's that's something that we need to rediscover, really. I think also women women have a stronger intuitive sense. Now, I shouldn't say women, I should say the feminine, because there are many men, you know, we actually all have a masculine and feminine energies within us. And there, there are many, many women in whom the masculine is much stronger. And there are men who have a strong, who have that feminine energy, meaning that they have an intuitive sense, and they they feel that connection um, to, to nature, um, and they 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 function at the, they are connected to the heart wisdom. There's a wisdom that comes from the the rational mind, or I should say, a knowledge, intellectual knowledge comes from the rational mind, and there's a wisdom that comes from the intuitive mind. Um, I think that the feminine is a much more of an intuitive faculty. So I really want to get around away from the male, fem- uh, men and women, and more and the masculine qualities and the feminine qualities. Um, right. So I think the the 
we've we've relied too much on the rational, uh, whereas earlier societies honored the intuitive sense. And the intuitive is what connect, connects you to the spiritual worlds. So you can be more in tune with the spiritual worlds when your intuitive uh, uh, faculties are open. And so, you know, as a uh, how does what does our education do? Our education teaches us really to close down the intuitive, which is the creative sense, the imaginative sense, and to focus on the rational faculties. And so we're we're kind of trained from early on to function in a way that will um, uh, support what what our society values. And um, that's led us to where we are today. Whereas if we were taught to 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 function more from our intuitive and our creative and, and imaginative faculties, uh, we might be in a very different place. So I think now is the time to balance um, the rational with the intuitive, and I think that's what the feminine can do. And that leads to all kinds of things in terms of, you know, the opening of compassion and the, the uh, interconnection um, with the rest of the natural world. Um, the intuitive faculty is critical for all of that. So that's how I that's how I understand the now the masculine is also very important. And I think that uh, in in looking at the character of Ram, we see that he really uh, expresses the higher masculine qualities. And when we see what we now deem as the masculine, what what's become masculine in our society, is so far from what those higher masculine qualities are. You know, to us in our society, it's a certain toughness and, you know, a certain kind of um, um, a, kind of like a, a brutish kind of strength. And it's like a toxic masculinity, as you say, but that's not, that's not the essence of the masculine energy. You know, masculine energy is very beautiful, very much needed, but we have to look to the higher masculine energies and look for examples of that, um, you know, because you, 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 we, we need the key is balance. So you know, you don't want the feminine without these higher masculine qualities. You want both of them in balance with each other. Sure. Well, I would amen to everything you said. I like everything you, you've been talking about. The, um, I mean, my my background is broadcast television and electricity and very high power RF and and my soul put me in front of those in that environment so I could understand the language of power I mean what's the difference between a millionth of a watt and one million watts well quite a bit <laughs> and and in mm-hmm. in the the technical side of broadcasting balance purity is everything in if I don't provide that balance, that purity for that much energy, it'll become very violent. And and so, indeed, for optimum grace or power or um, balance, it is an equal amount of masculine feminine. So, um, we're coming out of an era where the masculine is, is rewarded and kind of the measuring stick of success for our, for our tribe, for our culture, has been a masculine sense of accomplishment, so to speak. And um, to 
showcase or to um, um, bring the the feminine attributes into equal measure, into equal importance, if you will, is going to take a, a shift in in what we as a culture hold as um, a, a measuring stick of how are we doing. So when you look at the feminine, the, the higher feminine attributes, and you look at the feminine at it, as it is personified today, what would the change be to bring that, that higher feminine uh, modality, if you will, into our culture? Um, well, for example, the 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 driving the driving um, goal of our culture is more, bigger, bigger and better. You want to have more. You want to have a bigger house. You want to have another car. It's more, 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 more consumption. Um, there's no there's no uh, value placed on quality. You know, or, or do we have enough green space? Or, or is our water clean? Um, our rivers uh, uh, pure. That's not how we value how we're doing as a country. We're doing well as a country if our GDP is growing. Now that that's a completely uh, um, uh, <laughs> a false uh, measurement of the well-being of our society. Because if you have more sick people, you're having more economic activity. And, and you're having a big, you're having growth in your GDP, and yet right. your people are sicker. So, <laughs> right. so yet, yeah. and yet you're saying that our economic, our economic growth shows that this country is doing well because there's more economic activity. That's how right. we measure um, our our well-being. So, I a shift would be if we measured our well-being in the happiness in our, of our people. Are our people happier? Well, we know that more and more of our people are taking drugs, opioids. Why are they doing that? They're depressed. They're not, they're not doing it because they're happy. So people are on drugs. There's a lot of violence. Why is there so much violence? It's not because people are, are happy. It's, it's because <laughs> they're unhappy. Right, so yeah. we have all these signs of unhappiness in our society, and we are not looking at the roots of it. We're, you know, people are suggesting Band-Aid approaches, you know, well, let's sue oh, sure. the drug companies and let the drug companies, you know, pay out these people. And, you know, I mean, all kinds of solutions that are not dealing with the problem, which is that how we look at the whole view of how we look at society is skewed. You know, we, 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 we have to come back to basics. Is our soil healthy? Is our food good? You know, we have a big obesity problem in this country. Well, what does that say? That says there's something wrong. So right, it's, it's yeah. looking at, you know, or, or, or how's our water, you know? Uh, so it's looking at all the the things that lead to a healthy life, and and assessing what state they they are in, and that should be the value, that should be the statement on how well the country's doing. If our water is pure, if our soil is good, if we're not putting toxins in the system, if if people are not taking drugs to drown out whatever unhappiness they're having, uh, opioids, um, if there's not violence, so much violence in the society, well, that's a measure that this country is doing really well. Right, yeah. So, you know, so it's shifting how we, 
how we are, are you know, uh, how we look at our country, how we look at this, the state of the nation, and our own personal well-being, how we judge that. You know, are we having time to be in nature, having time out with our family, or are we so stressed out, you know, trying to pay the bills? So it's the whole thing is so skewed. We've just running around like like rats on a you know a pad, just keep going uh, without stopping to think what makes a healthy society. What are the components of a healthy society and a, and and a, a good quality of life? Well, I like that. Well, and and it it takes this kind of pondering to to. To reevaluate how we how we determine our integrity with ourselves, so to speak. So, I mean, we've been talking about kind of the big scale of things, um, uh, society, humanity as a whole. What if we uh, dove down on onto the uh, the macro scale inside a single home, inside a single relationship? Because you know, I can I can say from the masculine point of view that. Um, the, a lot of ways the masculine um, has really not been um, very well educated is the notion of of when it when it comes to a relationship a man and a woman oftentimes the man sees himself as the fixer he's he he provides solutions and in a in a man woman relationship, if a woman is connecting with how she's feeling, um, the depth and range of that feeling, by the very nature of the feminine persona, has has such a um, broad range of um, values, if you will, and. When the man tries to be the solution of the feeling, it really makes him responsible for something he has no control over. And I think a lot of times when women slip into or tap into, not slip, I mean connect with uh, a deeper um, feeling, a deeper like – the the man kind of falls empty as far as being useful in that situation, and, and so the the shadow side or the dysfunctional side in our society is in that relationship. The man is, feels like he's supposed to fix something, but he has no flipping idea what the hell where the where the feelings are coming from, and. And I would say to that, the the healthy side of that is those feelings aren't there for you to fix. The the woman is sharing um, a feeling that's coming from within her, and that that's her dominion. I mean, when you look at the when you look at the the relationship aspect of the the masculine and the feminine now, where do you see some of the um, shadow sides or dysfunctional sides of of how the healthy masculine and feminine are really um, discouraged. Well, I think that there, there was a there was a huge upheaval in gender relations. Um, you know, my generation really uh, uh, a few decades ago, when um, suddenly things were turned up, 
upside down and you know women hadn't worked before suddenly women were out working and then well did women have to do two jobs the home and the working and i think there was just a lot of dysfunction and a lot of confusion um and and you know in in, in an ideal sense the, the fact that women were working should have freed men from a lot of those expectations of having to provide for the family and have all this responsibility and suddenly they were also free now to have relationships with their children. So now we actually have paternal leave, not just maternal leave in many companies, but the father gets to take two months or three months off when a new child is born. So there were there were a lot of shifts. And and I think that, that it, in many cases people didn't know how to handle all these changes because if if you're not if you're not the provider and if you're not the one who fixes everything, well well then what is your job? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and and so there was a, there was a lot of um, it's very sad sort of what happened to gender relations. There's so you know there were so many divorces, and and um, I mean even now there are very few people I know that are in good healthy relationships. And I think it's it's never really been it hasn't achieved its balance. I know that I I have two sons, and they both have children, young children, and my sons are. And they grew up, I was divorced when they were young, so they grew up and, and mostly with me, a little bit with their father. They have a lot of the maternal qualities. So they are the ones at home with the children, even they both have professions. Um, one is a scientist and one is a, is a professor. But, but they, they chose uh, professions where they would have time with their children. And so their father didn't have time with them. And so I think right. that... that um, in some cases, men were given the freedom then to 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 take on more of that nurturing role, as women were given the freedom to go out and to to grow in the you know develop intellectually and explore their themselves in the um, professional world and do all those things. So, you know, it's again finding that balance, and it's a challenge. It's hard, much harder for couples today because you have two people working. And you know, this, it's a lot to take care of children. <laughs> so, sure, you know, yeah. it's 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 a it, many more challenges. I think where traditionally somebody, the woman was always home with the children, and it was just just the way it was. <laughs> you know, so right, you didn't have to yeah. worry about childcare and all that. Um, so I think I think though that this provides opportunity for growth. On in both, so the so the men then can develop their their more feminine side, and the women can develop their more masculine side. Um, without losing their their um, hopefully in many cases without losing the qualities you know the the positive qualities of the male and the female so i so the, you know there are uh, there are uh, more opportunities to rebalance oneself individ at the individual level, and you have to work harder to find that balance within the family there has to be good communication and there has to be you know honest communication and then being able to express your needs. And so I think that there are, there are more challenges, but it might lead to more, um, it could lead to, to healthier relationships. Right, I like that, yeah. Well, and, and I guess the notion I'm getting at is um, shifting the sense of, um, like for me, um, like I I held a men's group for a while, and, um, some men didn't 
didn't know where they fit in, so to speak. It's like, what am I, what am I supposed to do in this relationship? What is my quote role unquote? Yeah. And, yeah. and the, and the reason I, I, I mean, we're talking about the feminine on the show, but um, part of that is, is the masculine um, allowing the feminine and, and not being threatened by it because. Well, that's key. Not being uh, threatened by it. That's, that's key. Um, and I think there was a lot of a, a lot of uh, men um, didn't know how to relate to strong women. Right. You know, they exactly. were they weren't they weren't used to that. And then was that that women came across as being masculine when when really she was just a, she was really just exploring her own potential. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, indeed. It. You know. So I think I think that you can't talk about the feminine without talking about the masculine, and and you can't focus only on, you know, bringing out the feminine without talking about the need for the masculine to support that and to be in partnership with that. I mean, there, there these are these two two aspects of of our personality, two aspects of of nature that need to be in harmony with one another otherwise there's conflict. Um, right. and, this, and, uh, and to create a healthy space for the feminine yeah. to feel at home in our natural attributes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there were a lot of societal expectations on, on men. There was this stereotype. And so if, if if suddenly a man found that he wasn't fulfilling that stereotype, well, then there was this loss of confidence. And, and well, right. then what is my role? And, right. you know, society still perpetrates that through the media, through the, through, um, you know, through the movies and everything. You know, so it's it's hard to get these things out of our collective psyche. It takes, I think, generations. Well, it starts with languaging and and contemplating what that would look like, and that's kind of what we're doing in this dialogue. So I, I really applaud that. Um, yeah. So when you look at, um, let's daydream a bit. Let's daydream. Uh, of a fast-forward type of situation where the the feminine has come back into their wholeness. The feminine has come back with with prominence in society, where the feminine attributes and the feminine um, um, values are are in equal measure, and there's a real balance in in the masculine and the feminine, and both sides are healthy. How would you? How would you see that playing out if you were to just daydream what that would look like? Um, what would it look like for you? Um, this is what this would look like to me: that the the health of the ecosystem, um, the the becomes primary, um, because that you can't have healthy children if you don't have a healthy environment, and so it would be very um, focused on creating a world that's safe and healthy for children. So I would say then that, 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 that you know, we encourage um, uh, innovation and business and industry, but a, a primary aspect of that has to be they can't pollute the environment. It's just not something that society accepts. They can't pollute the water, they can't pollute the soil, and, and there has to be a, a, an agreed-upon uh, uh, understanding of what is pollution, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what 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 entails 
what what does that you know what does that mean? You know, right. you can't, what what chemicals can't you put into the water? <laughs> Things like that. Right. So it would be a protection of the environment, and it would be a society that's balanced between work and caring for children, creating safe spaces for children where children can learn and thrive, um, putting education of children and education that balances the development of the the left brain and the right brain, creative play as well as intellectual development, creative activity, um, imagina- imagination, develop of imagination, and a society that that is um, much more equitable in terms of the economy, that it's not every man out for himself and you get as much as you can. Never mind what, you know, if, you, if 80% of the population has little. It's one that says, no, we have to care for the whole because our well-being depends on the well-being of the whole. So right. it would be, it would have more balance, um, you know, in terms of uh, and, and this understanding of interconnection that I've referred to is an understanding that when certain segments of society suffer, it affects us all. So, you know, it would be making those things a priority, um, putting much less emphasis on on weaponry and um, uh, focusing more on fostering the well-being of people, look, looking to their health, uh, to the food, the quality of our food. So right now we have a society based on profit, profit above people. And we've seen that in so many instances. People can, can you know, things that cause diseases, you know, chemicals that cause diseases, well, it's okay. You know, we'll deal with the diseases. And instead of the reverse would be, no, you you make sure it's safe before you can use that. Put that out into right. the environment. It's got to be proven safe before, rather than proven toxic before you, you put it out. So um, it would be people first. It would be people and planet. And profit is fine, but not if it, if it harms people or planet. Right. Well, I like that. Um and it it comes from these kind of conversations where we where we mull it over in our heads so we understand the incongruencies, if you will, with our existing paradigm, so we know how to um, show up as ourselves and also to to um, participate in the culture with what we see as what would restore harmony. So. Um, you know, I do a, a, I do a lot of work with young young people, meaning people in their twenties and thirties. A lot of them are working in, in the environmental field, and I always say to them that now it's very important for your generation to to vision, to start visioning. What kind of society do you want to work for? What What are the principles of the society you want to work for? I mean, when we we I want to add one thing to about about balancing the feminine. It would also be a society where there's, where there's less corruption, where people are not thinking of taking for themselves at the expense of society. You know, it's it's moving from an I-based culture to a we-based culture. That's essential that we move away from me, from I just care about me and mine to I care about the whole because I am part of the whole. And it's a, it's a real shift in mindset, you know, and it's um, I think that's the only thing that's going to save us. Right. 
I like that. Well, um, to fold your book into this conversation, um, The Untold Story of Siddha, an empowering tale for our time. Who who did you have in mind when you wrote this book? Who, who's this book written for? Well, it, there are two audiences. Um, there's certainly the audience um, in India that knows the story, but knows it through the eyes of the masculine. And um, it's somewhat radical for that audience because it's telling the whole story through Sita's eyes, uh, well, through through people close to Sita, so she's not narrating it. Um, but it, and, and so brings out the work of the feminine, what what the work is, what Sita's role is in the unfolding story. And there's a, there's a whole story in that, and Sita gets kidnapped, and then she gets, the, the battle takes place, and, and the forces of doctrines are defeated. So there's a, a very engaging story. Um, but in the d- traditional narrative, her role is, well, she gets kidnapped, and he has to fight and save her. Whereas I tell it very differently, that she willingly goes into this uh, into this uh, um, kingdom of the of the of darkness, in order to help it, um, help bring the light there. So it's a very different telling of the story, as I said, somewhat radical for that audience because it's not a story that's been told in that way. And then, um, for the American audience, um, I, you know, the the essential there's a few essential messages to the story. One is the ecological message of coming back, of returning to the time where we're in harmony and uh, in seeing our, our, our relationship with the rest of the web of nature. But the other uh, essential message, and of course the divine feminine, the other essential message is the power of love. And, and that, that is the message they bring to earth, Ram and Sita, is that love has to be the foundation of, a, of, of a, um, an ethical society. It has to be based on love. And love is the greatest force. And there are many, many uh, beautiful expressions uh, that come out of Sita's mouth and Ram about about this power of love. And their love is so comes through so strongly, their love for the natural world. And I think we need to bring that love out now. This country is so ridden with fear and anger. And um, we've, we've forgotten the essential rule of life, which is love. And and that's what's going to heal us individually and collectively, and that message comes through, I think, very strongly in the book, um, and and so I think that the the in terms of the message for the American audience, it's the ecological message, it's the it's the balance between the masculine and the feminine that's so needed, and it's returning to this heart center. You know, there's been this sweeping mindfulness movement uh, that's you know taken the country um, but mindfulness without heartfulness is not going to help us so mindfulness is good to be you know much more uh, uh, aware and present um, but heartfulness is really what this country needs now um, we need we need to come back to a place of love if we're going to overcome the fear and the anger uh, and the confusion that people are experiencing and the frustration people are experiencing now and and love is such a powerful um, place to live, and uh, and you know that I just said that sentence. Love is such a powerful place to live, but 
but the power be um, what just flashed in my mind was the power of love is a very feminine attribute because because prominent dominant masculine dysfunctionalness is not love. <laughs> the, but the, but the well, no, but you know says, the higher masculine this this love that emanates. This is what I found in the process of of recording this book is that is that the masculine is also a force of love. The, the sure. masculine that's freed from these social uh, conventions. And that's uh, what we have to do, is we have to free the masculine from the social yeah, yeah. stereotypes. Uh, do both at the same time. Well, yeah. this, now, this book is written in the first person. Um, um, do, do you get a sense this was a past life recall for you? That's how I experienced it. I as as the story came to me, and it, it it just, you know, in my meditations, I would see the scenes and hear the. It came to me as memories uh, from a previous life, but then I also thought to myself, as being a servant in Sita's household, I also thought to myself, well, you know, I might I might be channeling that servant. <laughs> maybe that right, yeah. maybe. I, so I don't know which it was. But it didn't matter to me because it was such a powerful experience. Uh, if I became that servant, you know, whether I actually right. was that servant or not, I don't know. But I became that servant and saw and experienced the things that she did. Um, and it brought me into the presence of, of Sita, who is this you know, divine being, um, a tremendous force of love, uh, as you said, who's been remembered now, uh, you know, 5,000, 6,000 years later. So um, there are many, many elements in the story that I think people will find interesting. Well, I like that. Well, now, as I read your accolades before the show, you're you're very steeped in uh, women's initiatives all over the world. Um, what would you say to the the young and aspiring women, and and even the women that are feeling called to set a new course for their life, what advice would you give them? Well, I would give the same advice to the young men and to the young women um, because I think, I think now we have to, all of our, all of our gatherings that I organize are very are balanced. I really struggle for gender balance so that it's an equal number of men and women um, or as close as we can get. I, I think this message is the same is now is the time to is to uh, awaken the feminine energy and the higher masculine energy um, to 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 try to cultivate one's intuitive sense and to feel the connection with Mother Earth and with the natural world. You know, I think I think Earth, our Mother Earth, and all of nature needs our love right now. She's experienced our neglect, and we see the consequence. So I think she needs to experience our love. Well, very nice. Well, um, <clears throat> what's in the works for you? What's coming down the pike for you? Well, in a, this fall, we're organizing a, a, a summit of young ecologists uh, from all over the world, uh, young men and women who are working in environmental fields in Bangkok, um, to talk about the, the spiritual, to talk about a vision for the future. You know, how, how do we rebalance the world 
meaning looking at all the different levels that need rebalancing. And what would that rebalancing look like? Discussing some of the things we talked about here, envisioning a world which which has the balance of the masculine and fem, feminine, ecological balance, economic balance. What, first, what does it look like, and then what could be the steps to get there? And so I'm looking forward. We've we've been having these meetings with young people on different continents, and now we're bringing them all together from around the world. And we handpicked those who really have vision and dedication and commitment and really understand the deeper issues. So I'm very excited to see what comes out of that. Very nice. So how how would our listeners uh, participate in that? So we... we um, are very active on Facebook. So my organization, the Global Peace Initiative of Women, our, our website is www.gpiw.org. That's GPIW, standing for the Global Peace Initiative of Women, even though it's not just women, it's women and men, um, um, and young women and young men. And we are active on Facebook and on Twitter, and we probably will be live streaming some of these conversations with young ecologists. And my book, The Untold Story of Sita, An Empowering Tale for a Time, is on Amazon. Um, So you can find it on Amazon, and it's in a Kindle. uh, You can get the Kindle edition. Um, And then I think just to follow us on on Facebook or um, check into our website. Well, I like that. So you've been doing this for a couple of decades now. Um, 20 years. Have you seen a change in uh, people's uh, responses to it? I mean, um, because over that much time, I mean, you're interacting with society. Is the interest been growing? I mean, what kind of changes have you noticed over that span of time? Oh, I've noticed so many changes. When we first started talking about the divine feminine 20 years ago, people looked at us like, you know, they didn't know what to make. They didn't know what to make of that. This is this was not a term that they understood. <laughs> what do you mean, divine feminine? <laughs> it's mainstream now. You know, I mean, you know, we we were we were. It was really uh, um, a, a kind of new new uh, broke open a lot of people's thinking, way they thought about things, um, and it's the same thing I see in in. The way we talk about ecology today, you know, uh, at first it was, well, yeah, we have to save, you know, the forests because we need them. And now it's, no, the forests have a life of their own. The rivers have a life of their own. These are these are living forces. We have to respect them. It's not because, well, we need them <laughs> for us. It's they, they right. have an integrity of their own. So I've seen a real shift uh, in awareness, um, certainly in terms of the divine feminine, that that's, that's, Mainstream now, and even mainstream, you know, interfaith organizations, religious organizations talk about it. Um, I remember when I did my first conference on the Divine Feminine in 2008, I brought a, a Catholic nun to talk about it. She said to me, Dina, I, I have a theological problem with this. I said, well, you know, deal with it as you can. Well, <laughs> she never stopped talking about the Divine Feminine after that. All of her talks now include the Divine Feminine. <laughs> You gave her permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's fine. So, and I, you know, and I think that we're going through a period of, 
as I said, transition. So I think that we're going to see rapid shifts. Um, and I hope more visioning, more visioning for what a balanced world would look like. Because the right. vision has well, to come like before we you create it. <laughs> you have to know what you're working toward. Well, yeah, we were talking about that before the the show started. I mean, I mean, I have I have this vision of a very organic earth, um, horses and dogs and orchards and um, no motors, no farm tractors, no, you know. Um, and it, it's come to my mind many times. Um, I think that's a past life we call for you. <laughs> or a future <laughs> life recall. Or a future uh, life recall. That's right. That happens too. Yeah. So, um, well, um, t- time can slip by when you're having fun. Um, yeah. I want to, Dina, I want to thank you not only for what you're doing for humanity. I mean, it's quite obvious the compassion you have for humanity is palatable and the passion you have for the, um, for the, um, women, women's uh, sacred feminine, if you will, is also very prominent. I want to thank you for everything that you do for humanity, and I want to thank you for being our guest again on the show tonight. It's been so delightful having this conversation with you. Thank you, Les. It's been it's been wonderful for me too. I enjoyed it. And thank. We've been talking with Dina Miriam, and the topic tonight has been the untold story of Siddha. I mean, what what a delightful conversation. I love getting perspectives from people like Dina who have, I mean, her her history is is an excellent example of, of somebody who really embodies this work, who really uh, lives from their heart, if you will, and is a vehicle for this kind of change. And uh, I, I would imagine there's quite a few people that are um, feeling the impulse, feeling the uh, desire from within, from within their heart, from within their soul, to show up for society as a member of society, to be the, that same kind of vehicle of change. And both for the masculine and the feminine side. Um, I can, you know, we've talked about the feminine tonight and the masculine as well, but um, I know um, the the masculine side of our society is um, has a deep desire for change too. So um, to hold the space for both the, um, the reawakening of the feminine and the healing of the masculine is really the... Um, kind of a core element to bring in harmony and, and peace back to our human persona. Well, time can fly by pretty fast. Um, it's always a pleasure for me to bring you episodes like this. Um, our, our human conscious, our human personas are very powerful vehicles for change, and humanity is very much hungry for a more authentic story, for an, a more authentic uh, authentic vision, if you will, for our future. So you've showed up for yourself by participating in this broadcast, and I, um, I'm so glad you chose to join us. Um, I've, I set up New Human Living to help people discover the power of who they are. You can go to newhumanliving.com and, and 
check out the resources there. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Again, it's been a wonderful show. Thanks for being with us. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.